Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Daily Energy Markets podcast. It is the 14th of November, and we have oil markets trading a little bit stronger this morning uh, after uh, sort of opening the week in Asia yesterday uh, with the sort of softer or uh, uh, downward outlook. Uh, There was recovery through the day, and ultimately, there's a bit of momentum back in this market supposedly on the back of uh, OPEC uh, report indicating a stronger demand expectation in the fourth quarter. It sounds potentially like talking up your own book, perhaps, but nonetheless, uh, that's what the markets, I mean, then as events, a market uh, looking for some direction uh, and uh, where maybe all news was seen as bearish news, Maybe we'll get a bit of momentum where all news is seen as bullish. Let's kick off this morning with Neil Atkinson, former head of oil markets division at the IEA. Your thoughts, Neil, on the direction of travel. This market was always forecast to be very tight in the fourth quarter. Hasn't really transpired, but nonetheless, uh, OPEC report yesterday somewhat bullish. Well, uh, of course, you know, forecasts can be wrong. And it looks as if the the forecast that we'd had for a long time of uh, of uh, acute tightness in the fourth quarter has turned out to be inaccurate, uh, as much because supply has been higher than uh, people have anticipated, as 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 much as strength of demand. Uh, OPEC came out with a monthly report yesterday, as you suggested. Uh, is are they talking their book? Uh, possibly so. Uh, at uh, two and a half hours from now, the IEA will come out with its monthly oil market report, and uh, we may get a slightly different picture. We may see an easing of their forecast for demand growth. I don't know. I have no inside information. So at the moment, we're in a sort of betwixt and between where uh, people are perhaps coming to terms with the fact that the tightness that was widely anticipated is not there. And... uh, uh, we know we're now looking into the early part of uh, 2024 to see if the seasonal weakness in the early part of the year, uh, which we always get, uh, how extensive that seasonal weakness might be. And of course, in between times, in where are we, about two weeks' time from now, something like that, we've got the uh, meeting of OPEC ministers uh, to uh, to absorb as well. So we're sort of up a, di- up a bit, down a bit, and uh, not quite exactly not finding direction, but there's a lot of contradictory uh, thoughts out there. Clyde Russell, Asia Commodities and Energy columnist Thompson Reuters. Clyde, good morning or good afternoon or maybe even good evening in uh, in Australia. Not quite. Good afternoon. I think we'll do it. But uh, your thoughts on where demand is at? China, we had our uh, regular commentator on yesterday, uh, Victor, indicating that the Outlook for demand in China is softening further. Your thoughts on where Asia and China in particular may be from the point of view of uh, the health of this market? Well, I think what's increasingly clear is that Asian demand is is sort of bumping along without really growing much, without really shrinking much. I think you've seen the last uh, sort of five, six months, uh, certainly in the second half of this year, that uh, it's eased back a little bit of, you know, for the region as a whole. And that's largely because China has sort of eased back on buying um, 
or importing crude oil from the high rates that it did at the beginning of the year. So yes, the narrative of, of a strong fourth quarter is, is yet to show up in the data that we've been seeing. What we are seeing is not a collapse in demand by any means, but not that sort of strong growth that's going to get to those sort of forecasts of world growth of 2.4 million barrels a day this year. That doesn't appear to be happening. I think the other thing, and I've, I've, I know I've mentioned this before, but I'll bang on about it again, is there's quite a large difference potentially between Chinese domestic consumption and their imports. Hmm. Um, they have vast inventories of, yeah. of um, oil and, and products built up. Even if they do get a demand surge, and there was some suggestion from PetroChina that that might actually happen in the fourth quarter, but even if they do that, that doesn't necessarily translate into higher imports, either currently or in the first quarter, because they can just simply run down the stockpiles, which they bought at a very much more favorable price than what they have to pay now to import new oil. Uh, let's welcome uh, Ali uh, uh, Riami from uh, Oman. It's great to have you back at the table, Ali. Your thoughts uh, looking at the, the um, situation facing OPEC Plus as they go into their meeting in two weeks' time. Uh, it's not a great time to be sort of gathering. I mean, putting aside the geopolitical backdrop, obviously a very significant moment, but the, the, the OPEC plus ministers will be meeting in what looks like a softening market at a time when they have to embrace increased quotas for certain producers going into the new year. How do you see they take on that challenge uh, with growing quotas, but softening market? Well, uh, it's going to be challenging this time. And uh, good morning, first, uh, Sean, and uh, always nice to, have, to, to be with you. Thank you, sir. I, I think uh, you're right. Uh, the timing this time, it's, uh, it's, a, bit, uh, it's, it's a bit odd uh, to have this meeting. But this is an ordinary uh, September meeting with OPEC. Uh, we do have, uh, we, they, you know, this normally happens in October, uh, in, uh, in, uh, in November. End of November and the beginning of December to prepare for next year's quarters and also to start talking about uh, you know, seeing the supply and demand uh, forecast for next year and so on and so forth. So timing, it's, uh, it's always uh, been there, but uh, this time the situation, uh, the situation is a bit different. We have uh, a lot of uh, geopolitical uh, issues uh, to, to discuss. And also we have uh, the, the voluntary uh, cuts that uh, need to be discussed. Uh, we need to also to, to cater for those uh, members that uh, they have requested to increase their quotas. And, so it, there would be a lot to, to discuss, but the more important is that uh, this time, are they going to discuss about, uh, you know, uh, continuing uh, cuts from, uh, from, the, uh, from, uh, from the countries or from the, uh, you know, OPEC plus, or is it going to be uh, a status quo and uh, nothing will change? Uh, 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 you know, uh, Russia and uh, Saudi Arabia, they will continue uh, their cuts for, for, for next year. This kind of discussion, I think, it will be, it will be a subject of uh, uh, of, of the agenda. For, you for would the think that the, you would think that the least Saudi Arabia would want to see by the other members is compliance with their own uh, quotas before well, they voluntarily carry the bucket for everybody else. This is an ongoing issue. I mean, uh, since the beginning of uh, OPEC Plus. Uh, there are countries that are not complying, either they are cutting more or less for several reasons, either technically or they don't comply because uh, uh, for, for, for their own budget reasons and so on and so forth. So 
the issue of uh, complying is, 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 is difficult to, to, to control since the beginning. But uh, I think uh, the situation now and the hints already started that uh, maybe the Saudi Arabia and Russia, at least, they will continue having the cuts for at least for the coming for, for the coming uh, first quarter of next year. The, uh, the, the royal prince uh, Abdelaziz bin Salman he already started uh, saying that uh, the market is strong, but uh, you know the speculators are these are the ones driving the market and so on and so forth. So there is like an indications already there that uh, you know maybe Saudi Arabia will decide to continue the voluntary cut at least for the first quarter. Uh, considering that uh, the, the 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 economy, the world economy, especially China and some other countries in uh, in in Asia, is not really showing some indications of growth or any 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 healthy conditions uh, there uh, at the moment, at least. So I think uh, we will see like uh, a continuation uh, of uh, of uh, of this uh, cuts and also the extra cuts from Saudi Arabia and uh, and Russia for the coming. Uh, at least the first, uh, first quarter of next year. Neil, we've got increasing voices in the last uh, few days and maybe week or so around, you know, what had been a fairly quiet uh, sanctions enforcement around the violations or perceived violations of those who were ignoring the <laughs> price cap and uh, 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 and other aspects, this EU talking about another round of sanctions on Russia and so forth. Your thoughts on on the meaning of that? Does it have relevance for the market that the sort of the the, the sanctions policing uh, department has woken up from their slumber? Well, I, I'm not even sure there actually is a sanctions uh, uh, compliance department. Uh, if there, if there is, then as you suggest, they've obviously spent most of the summer on holiday, uh, or and now gone into winter hibernation. Because what seems to be the case with the price cap is that clearly it's it's not it's not it's succeeded. Well, there were two objectives, weren't there? One was to keep oil flowing because we didn't want to see massive disruption to global oil supplies. But on the other hand, we wanted to make sure Russia didn't make uh, very much money from it. And of course, that second part has failed. There's no doubt about it whatsoever. It's all very well the G7 countries imposing uh, uh, sanctions, which they're, of course, entitled to do. But other countries are entitled to take a different view. And uh, we suggested earlier on, uh, Mavin Clyde, I think, uh, mentioned this, that China uh, was stocking up earlier in the year when prices uh, were relatively low. And of course, we've seen India increase its uh, uh, purchases of Russian oil massively from only 50,000 barrels a day before the invasion of Ukraine in 2021 and, uh, you know, 2 million barrels a day at certain points during uh, last year and this year. So people see things very, very differently. And uh, we've seen that Russia has managed to circumvent the sanctions by buying up uh, old ships. Uh, we've seen that uh, uh, traders and uh, and uh, other uh, actors in the market have uh, made alternative arrangements vis-a-vis -vis insurance so quite so what we're seeing here is that as with almost any sanctions regime you can think of over the many decades that uh, we've seen them imposed uh, in the oil market and in the wider economy people find their way around sanctions i mean that's natural and that has been the case with russia and uh, yes, okay, uh, there's been statements in the press in the last few days saying we need to tighten up, we need to toughen up. And you read in the press, 
In fact, just this morning, a reading in the press of some trading outfits or some insurance outfits being sanctioned by individual governments. Uh, the UK has sanctioned somebody in Dubai in the last few days. Yeah, sure, fine. But if you really want to achieve your objective of keeping the oil flowing but depriving Russia of money, then you are going to have to tighten up sanctions very, very rigorously and actually set up some kind of police force because there isn't a police force at the moment to speak of. So yeah, you've hit on a very important issue there, Sean. But I think we should say that uh, earlier this year when prices were uh, rising and it became fashionable for people to talk about it's only a matter of time before we get to $100 a barrel, uh, you know, I think Western policymakers were actually probably secretly quite relieved that significant volumes of Russian oil was still in the market by whatever means. And uh, now we're in a situation where uh, they're going to try and tighten up the policing mechanism. We'll see how they manage to achieve that. I actually don't think they can because the behavior of people outside of the G7 uh, following their own economic self-interest, uh, I believe that behavior will continue. And, and, and all of China and India. And all of the tricks of the trade have been have been learned now and bedded in. Sure. Clyde, the, the big meeting tomorrow it doesn't happen very often. The Chinese and the American president meet. Uh, they're meeting, uh, having a summit in San Francisco. Should we have expectations that this meeting will unfreeze this increasingly freezing relationship? Does it present a positive outlook for China next year with some relief from U.S. Uh, sort of moves to confine it. Your thoughts on this summit and expectations? Well, I must admit I fall into the sort of cynical, skeptical camp. I would sort of say that these kind of meetings are always very carefully choreographed. You don't put two of the most powerful politicians in the world in the same room without having some idea of what's going to happen. Both sides will have... Um, said what they want and you know and there'll be a, a nice public statement it will all sound really good but will it actually change much on the ground i don't think so is the u.s going to uh, lift the trump era tariffs that have put on 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 china probably not are they going to uh, relax exports of chips and, and things like that i i would be surprised um, you know, is China going to suddenly pull back from uh, keeping tensions relatively high in the South China Sea with its neighbors there? I doubt it. So, you know, it, it won't really change much. That said, just the fact that they're prepared to talk is a positive sign. And there is some positives that you can take away from it. It's not all bad news. But does it really alter this sort of trajectory that we're on of a cooling relationship and the idea that China is now not quite a Cold War enemy, but we're sort of no longer friends. I think that's probably, it's not going to change that, but it might just sort of ease things along for the time being. Ali, given the the, the great uh, geopolitical trauma in the Middle East uh, at, at the moment with Israel's invasion of Gaza and now close to 12,000 Palestinians massacred, is there a... Uh, a hope, an opportunity here that these, as, as as Clyde mentioned, two most powerful men in the world could bring that to the table, that they could find alignment to help uh, bring this to an end. Your thoughts or expectations from the region for this meeting? Unfortunately, I don't think so, because uh, I think, uh, you know, uh, the U.S. and uh, uh, 
European, some European countries, together with Israel, I think uh, they have already uh, decided to continue to the end. Uh, rightly so or wrong, I don't know. But uh, you know, the the people in the in the ground that uh, these are the people that they are suffering out of this. But I don't think that uh, this talks uh, tomorrow between uh, USA and China will bring any any help or any support or any hope. Uh, to 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 solve uh, this issue, the Israeli uh, president Netanyahu said it very clearly two days ago that uh, there is no way to stop uh, the war at the moment, and they will continue until uh, you know Hamas release uh, the uh, you know some uh, whatever uh, people, and uh, this this is unfortunately. That uh, that is a situation at the moment, and I don't think that uh, there is any hope uh, coming or any any hope. Uh, I, I can't see any hope uh, uh, in the air at the moment, unfortunately. And and given that uh, Ali, it does seem. Uh, uh, while the stress is great on the region, both emotional uh, uh, and everything else. That it the, can, this this is being contained. The spread of this conflict is is not is is it doesn't appear to be any appetite anywhere for it to spread. I disagree with that. I think uh-huh. the, the longer okay. the longer it goes, I think it will create some more tension from different countries. And uh, we have started seeing some uh, some uh, nations uh, like uh, Lebanon, uh, also the Hezbollah. He started already. You know, escalating a little bit uh, yesterday, and we don't know how it, uh, how that will, uh, how that will go. Uh, but uh, the longer you 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 do this, the longer we see uh, the massacres in uh, in uh, in uh, in, uh, in Gaza, the more uh, you know, uh, people are getting uh, uh, tired with uh, with this, and uh, they are getting uh, you know frustrated, and uh, it is it is just uh, you know pushing the governments to take actions. So the nations in the in the Islamic world and also especially in the Arab world, uh, they are uh, frustrated and uh, they are really seeing this uh, scenes in the in, in, in the news and uh, with, with, uh, with the governments, they can't do anything. This is really frustrating them and they will definitely one time, if it is going to continue, then they will definitely push the governments to 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 react and uh i don't know how they would react but uh well we there was some strong there, there was starting point at least some fairly strong statements out of the uh arab league meeting in um in 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 riyadh and, and riyadh hosted a number of meetings over the weekend i think to put some kind of baseline position together uh, and let's hope that it has some positive impact let's go to the survey question uh, uh, for this morning again looking at the immediate events of tomorrow this china us summit uh, will it deliver any breakthroughs for the growing cold war relationship uh, yes or no uh, 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 on that um <coughs> Neil, we are moving into, obviously, deep into the fourth quarter. Uh, the oil contracts now trading into the new year. Uh, and, and and typically, the first quarter, certainly in the Northern Hemisphere, is is, is a sort of a lower demand window and, 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 and a weaker window for price. 
does OPEC plus, and if they want to continue, as I was using the analogy last week, to keep the, the, the pole in this tent up, that they will have to do more in the first quarter, given it is the weaker window, that um, rolling over, for example, the uh, unilateral voluntary cut just for one month at a time, they might need to do three or six months. Your thoughts on how to keep that sort of 80 to $90 pole in the tent up uh, in this weaker first quarter? Yeah, well, that's a very good question. I mean, the, the estimates for Q1 2024 suggest that global oil demand will be something between a million to a million and a half barrels a day lower than it was in Q4. And that's, you know, no great surprise, no great secret. Uh, there's always seasonal fall off. And of course, they will have taken that into account. And in, uh, the OPEC ministers, as they're looking at their balances and they prepare for, uh, uh, for the meeting in Vienna. Uh, obviously, uh, to some extent, uh, in some markets uh, in the Northern Hemisphere, winter weather has an impact on oil demand because there is uh, a significant heating oil market, particularly in the northeast of the United States and in other parts of, uh, of Europe. So the weather will be a factor, as of course it is for gas markets. So, you know, they'll have to take it, uh, uh, I think, step by step. Uh, one of the lessons that we've learned in uh, in recent years, particularly since the pandemic came in, is that uh, it isn't necessary for this gargantuan OPEC circus that descends on Vienna a couple of times a year. It's not necessary for that to be convened for actions to be taken. They'll go ahead in uh, late November uh, with the planned meeting. I uh, agree with Ali that uh, the existing uh, cuts and voluntary cuts I think will be extended, and I think they'll extend them, say, through the first quarter. But in the modern world, they have the ability to meet virtually, which they did many times during the pandemic and indeed since, and uh, they can make adjustments as they see fit. So given that we're in a very uh, delicate situation at the moment, I think they will play it uh, very cautiously. They'll roll over and then they'll meet again if they need to in the early part of 2024. Clyde, I was enjoying uh, reading your uh, op-ed today on the iron ore market in China and just wanted to get your sense and insights on what it can tell us about China's outlook for the new year. You reported that the iron ore is defying the commodity gloom uh, amid China property hopes. I mean, this, this sort of China property story has been anything but hopeful. Uh, what, Where is their hope and what does it tell us about the rest of the macro outlook for China? Well, I think with iron ore, what you're really seeing is that you are getting that hope idea that, you know, the, the, the turnaround in the Chinese property sector is imminent. Why are people thinking that? Well, the government seems to be taking more and more importantly, uh, bigger steps to prop things up. Uh, they've eased a whole lot of requirements on borrowing and um, buying uh, restrictions and things like that. There's also signs there's been a Reuters report that uh, Ping An Insurance is going to buy uh, Country Garden, which would uh, take out, you know, add a lot of confidence back in of these heavily indebted uh, property developers that that is going to be sorted out. That still has to be confirmed. But you also, I mean, there are some fundamentals on the iron ore market as well. Um, namely, there's very low inventories for this time of year in China. They're the weakest they've been since 2016. So there's scope just to import to rebuild inventories. But what you're really seeing, the broader picture is 
there's now that confidence creeping back into the market that uh, the first quarter is going to see uh, recovery and more uh, building, higher steel demand, and that's what iron ore is responding to. Um, whether this actually happens or not, still, you know, it's still to be seen. But this is uh, the sort of pattern that iron ore has been following this year. Uh, and how does this data, marry with... I was going to sort of follow. How does this marry with the heavily indebted uh, real estate uh, developers segment in China who have missed some payments, etc.? Where how does the real estate recover or get out from under that when it's still this massive uh, debt hangover? Well, if the Ping An deal is is true and and is confirmed, basically what it means is, uh, this, you know, the, the Chinese state is going to force state controlled uh, banks and insurance companies to basically bail out the uh, the developers. Um, you know, th th this is not terribly unusual. It happened in the Western world um, on, on occasions as well. So, but I think they've actually got to the point where they've realized they have to do something. So they have to clean up the balance sheets of a whole range of developers. And these are huge companies. I mean, also something like property in, in China is roughly a quarter of the economy. It's massive. So they now appear to be taking seriously that they need to do something about this. So if this does happen, if these balance sheets are cleaned up and these companies can actually continue to operate, build new residences, apartments, whatnot, then that confidence will come back in. Um, and you'll start to see you know, the public respond to that and they'll start buying things again. At least that's the hope. But it's probably a, a first quarter, second quarter story for next year rather than something right now. But as I say, the iron ore responds to this because the steel mills have to build up inventory of the of iron ore if they're going to actually produce more steel in the first quarter. Let's get the uh, last word for Ali and the survey result. Uh, Ali, just uh, sort of finishing up where we started off this morning. So not a lot of optimism in this room regarding this summit tomorrow. Um, uh, but the is there optimism uh, regarding the OPEC uh, rep uh, report yesterday and it's so hey it's forecast for the fourth quarter they were, had predicted a three million barrel a day supply deficit uh, only a month or so or two months ago whenever that report came out from OPEC for the fourth quarter ie was going to be a massively tight market now they've come out and said that uh, actually demand stronger than 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 has been thought you're where are these OPEC numbers and as Neil mentioned and the IEA could be coming out in a few hours and given past uh, recent reports uh, be completely the opposite of OPEC? Well, this shows you that, uh, you know, these uh, reports can be uh, misleading sometimes and uh, they can, uh, they can uh, print uh, a different picture every time they issue. Um, you know, these are all uh, estimates. Uh, we, we always, uh, you know, uh, know that uh, after two or three months from now, there will come another report to, re to, to reflect the more reality and actual numbers. So this happens all the time. So I, I normally don't uh, really uh, take this uh, report on a very serious basis because I know uh, one month after that everything will change. And this is a result of what happens this time. So I think uh, we'll continue having this kind of uh, discussion every time the reports. Now it became more, I don't know, for some reason, now these reports are becoming more, more important to the, to the media than, uh, than uh, used to be before. I mean, every, every time there will be interviews asking people, how do you think, what do you think about, uh, you know, well, it, it starts to feel, it, 
It's like they took a page out of the Goldman Sachs book, you know, say the biggest number possible, $200 <laughs> oil barrel or, you know, yeah. it's like get the headline and, yeah. uh, 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 and, and let it have its, its news cycle. And, 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 then, and, and we'll... then you have, you have, you know, yesterday, the, the, again, you, you know, Sachs, uh, they have uh, revised their, their prices for next year to 1998, I think, out of 150 before. So you can see that uh, how this reports and how this uh, uh, people uh, really, sometimes they can go out of uh, out of everybody's expectation, including. Even, even the guys who are paid the biggest bucks at Goldman Stacks still Absolutely. get it 50% off. So, uh, yeah, and a, probably still get a bonus, you know, but that's the way of the world. Um, Brent should hire oil, me because I've always yeah. been uh, trying to <laughs> to give the reality yeah well that's probably what they don't want they want the big uh the big uh sort of bullish number to to sh it's a bit it like is. the chinese government set the target of five percent and everybody go for it brent crude oil however trading this morning at 82.75 i think notably uh and and perhaps uh, uh if, if if nothing else uh, holding above 80 didn't break down into the 70s which is probably some uh, signal of positivity for the for the outlook going forward into the opec meeting uh, and the uncertainty of the opec meeting coming up will probably in itself create a slightly bullish tone because of as as, as his Highness, the Saudi energy minister, has done in the past, likes to surprise the market. So probably will be staying on its toes over the coming 10 days going into that OPEC meeting. Uh, thank you so much. Great to have you guys back at the table. The insights of uh, uh, the, the three gentlemen, Neil Atkinson in Paris, Clyde Russell in Australia, and of course, Ali Riami sitting in the middle in Oman. Thank you very much for your insights today. And we'll catch you all very soon. Thank you.